Pod Boys Productions. Yeah, everyone's asking about the Mr. Irrelevant. And what I've got my sight set on is Mr. Irrelevant. When I first got it, you're thinking, man, Mr. Irrelevant. Man, I don't want to be that guy. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning. You could w- listen to this whenever, obviously. It's a podcast with your boy, Padre. Today, we're doing a little mashup of Misters Are Relevant, or Misters Irrelevant, rather. The typical NFL podcast. Like week 17 just happened, so we certainly have to talk playoffs. But also, we're going to get into a little Movies Are Relevant and a highlight of movie, me and my co-host, young Spooky himself, E Nam, have seen recently. Are you there, E Nam? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's your boy, Young Heijo, back after our you know brief hiatus. Where to uh, give give the listener a little behind screen uh, inside baseball information? Okay. I selfishly told you that I would not pod with you about sports again until you saw my favorite movie of the year about fancy ladies wearing pretty dresses. There's a couple of those films, so you didn't give it away. I was about to chide you for for doing so, but I guess you could be talking about several movies, right? Right, right, right. It's at least between this and Colette. <laughs> I was thinking of that. Isn't there someone with Saoirse Ronan out now, too? Like, um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, uh, there's like a queen. Uh, I don't know which queen it is. Queen of Scott. Scotty. Yeah, Mary Queen of Scots. We'll, we'll get to the movie stuff. I have lots of thoughts on it. But it, I should also point out, I suppose, that it is the last podcast of the year. By the time you hear this, it probably will be the new year since we are recording this on December 31st itself. I usually don't have a immediate turnaround on these bad boys. But a happy new year to any listener and to you, young, uh, what was it again? I'm sorry, young Skojo? So the nickname I used was Young Heijo, which is how my friends and I colloquially referred to a hand job because Heijo sounds funnier. And uh, spoiler alert, one features not so prominently, uh, but hilariously in uh, mm. the movie we're going to talk about, yeah. In the movie we're going to talk about, yeah. We'll just say it. it it's a favorite. We're going to talk about that later on. If, you, if you're just interested in NFL talk, though, which I don't know what the crossover between people <laughs> wanted to hear about week one of the NFL playoffs, uh, 2019, I guess, and um, the film The Favorite are, I, I assume there's some, but... If you're just here for football talk, don't worry. Just a minute or two, we'll start that off. But yeah, and with that, that's not a term used in the movie, though, because there was a couple of funny terms that I want to get into later on. I, I don't think that was one of them, though. That's that's one you and your friends do, you're saying? Yeah, that's a Tillman original, yeah. Okay, so your friends do it, but you created it if it's a Tillman original, it sounds like. You're taking credit? Yeah, no, I'm going to go ahead and take credit. My, okay. fr- my friends aren't that litigious. Okay, well, that's good, I guess. And, but yeah, for a second, I thought it was like some ScarJo reference. With That's not right. Yeah, I didn't know what you're talking about, but I like it. My guy, what's a ScarJo? <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing a, a mix between a, a HeyJo and ScarJo myself, but n- no time for that talk right now. Let's talk football. My team, the Cleveland Browns, had a hell of a year, I'll have to say. A hell of a season, especially when you consider uh, what they normally get up to. What are your thoughts on it, though, uh, Young Hey Joe. 
my team. I was interested in watching a Cleveland Browns game in week 17 this year, which is probably the best thing that anyone was has been able to say about the Cleveland Browns in like, what, 18 years? I mean, was that a new experience for you entirely, that interest? In... It was a new experience for me entirely. I've never in my adult life been interested in a Cleveland Browns game, much less one in 2000, or in the in week 17. <laughs> Not even one in general, so week 17 doesn't even really matter then. But it's just... Uh, when the Cowboys play the Browns, I check out. Oh, yeah, you check it out then. But that just shows to highlight anyway how yeah how unusual of a season it was. Uh, sadly unusual, of course, being a fan. But uh, hopefully it, uh, it's being turned around. Uh, I don't think they're going to... So today was Black Monday as well as being New Year's Eve. A lot of coaches fired. I don't think Greg Williams has officially been told he, he won't be rehired or, or take the interim tag taken away. But it seems like the writing's kind of on the wall for that one. I don't think he will be. Uh, a lot of other teams we can get into... Looking for coaches, too, but given how the team performed this year, I would think coaches would want, if there are any good ones, they would want to come. And the main reason is Baker Mayfield. You know, that's why the Browns, other than the dysfunctional organization, etc., not ever hitting on a quarterback in, in about 20 years is probably the main cause of why they've been one of the punching bags, punchlines, etc., of the league. And now it seems like that's those days are over at Baker Mayfield yesterday against the Ravens setting the rookie record for touchdowns in a se- in a rookie season with two and a half less games than the, than Peyton Manning and Russell Wilson who who co-owned the record previously. So I'm basically I'm just uh, I'm pretty excited about this. And yeah, when is it at the end of week 17 that I'm not looking forward to the draft but looking forward to actually seeing the team on the field next year, you know. Yeah, man. Baker Mayfield might be good. What is his name? Miles Garrett. Also very Miles good. Miles Garrett. Yeah, there's. I saw a quote today from Miles Garrett who said, so he's already like climbing the list uh, of the ranks of uh, former Browns, like the sack list. He's already in the top 10, I think, only two years in. That's super pathetic. Really only a year and a half, and he didn't play. He barely played half a season his rookie year. And the Browns don't have, you know, aside from Clay Matthews Sr. and a couple of guys, they don't have a lot of prolific um, pass rushers in their history, but still... Pretty impressive. So t- number one picks back to back. Also, Denzel Ward, the the other number one pick, the fourth overall pick from this draft. Unfortunately, has some concussion issues, but was named to the Pro Bowl. So that pick got hit on right away. Basically, the Browns have been drafting a lot better now, and it's kind of like the Thunder thing in the NBA. I guess how many bad years can you have picking high until you start hitting on some of these guys? But yeah, it's a pretty exciting time to be a Browns. Yeah, player. the answer is uh forty. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, it's kind of like, for me, it's like, oh, well, if things would have went a different way or, or two, we could have been a playoff team this year. Or at least yesterday's game against the Ravens could have been for the division or could have been for the playoffs, which it was just to keep them out, which didn't happen. Did you? Uh, so you did watch the game then? A bit of it. I was I was interested. I wasn't I wasn't super watching. Truth be told, I was traveling at the time. Gotcha. Well, did you see the whole thing with the... The one thing from the game, and it's not it's certainly not the first time refs have screwed over the Browns this year, but did you see the whole thing with the, the Jackson fumble on the goal line and then what happened there? No, no, I didn't. So the Ravens kind of ran over the Browns in the first half. Um, we got off to a 7-3 lead with a nice Baker touchdown, but after that, the run assault was on. You know how this Ravens offense is now 
they barely have to throw it at all. I mean, they're, they're just running it down our throats or their opponents' throats with Lamar Jackson and which whoever their stable of running backs is. I got to give a lot of credit to their O-line, certainly, and their scheme here. But regardless, they were driving again. They'd gotten a pretty good lead. They were driving to kind of what would probably put the game out of reach. And Jackson, you know, on like second and goal, whatever it was, from the one-yard line, Jackson jumps up, puts the ball. They rule it a touchdown initially, but uh, the ball got knocked out behind Jabril Peppers picks it up to start running toward the end zone the other way, and they, the refs blow the damn whistle for basically no reason, stopping the play. Then they review the play and say, oh, he did fumble. The ball didn't cross the plane. Clear fumble. The Browns should have gotten a, a, a you know a 99-yard touchdown there, a fumble recovery touchdown. Oh, yeah, yeah, And yeah. And th- instead they got it on the 7-yard line, which led to a punt. You know, it was, there was, this was like with two minutes left in the half, a minute and a half left. So That's fucking brutal. No, I didn't hear about that. And then we see the final score of the game was a two. They won by the Ravens won by two points. So Steelers fans very upset about that as well, of course, because they're it was kind of a funny dynamic this week where the Steelers had to actually root for the Browns to win for them to get in the playoffs, um, which obviously didn't happen. We'll talk about these playoff matchups, but Steelers aren't in there. I'm fine not seeing the Steelers in the playoffs. The Steelers team is super weird, and I don't like them. Well, also, did you see any news that came out of the camp today? From no, no. So parent, so Antonio Brown didn't play yesterday against the the Bengals there, and no one really knew why, or they're just like, I guess people are saying maybe they're resting him in case they do make the playoffs, whatever. There wasn't really a good explanation. Then today it came out that he like got in a fight with Big Ben and practiced threw a football at him and like stormed out. Um, so the the team basically had suspended him for that game, the Week Seventeen game. So that on top of obviously the whole Le'Veon Bell saga, uh, it seems like. The Steelers kind of, you can't really call it a dynasty because they didn't really win anything, but the Steelers kind of great offensive team they've had here is kind of falling apart, it looks like. Yeah, well, I mean, like, Big Ben isn't good anymore. They have got maybe the league's best or fifth best wide receiver, depending on who you like better, and they're not doing anything with him. I I owned Antonio Brown in two fantasy leagues this year. I went two and six. I agree. But I like to hear this drama because I'm a Steeler hater, of course. But uh, Yeah, of course. But realistically, do you think it's, just to cap off, they, I guess they have seen North Talk here before we talk about your team in the playoffs. What do you think for next season? Is it the Browns, Ravens, uh, you know, Mayfield v. Jackson, kind of the future of that division? Are those going to be the ones fighting for it and for next year and the next few years to come? I feel like Pittsburgh's always relevant, and um, anytime you've got Hugh Jackson in the AFC North, there's a chance for the, for the Bengals to do well. Uh, all, I'm sorry. What? All jokes aside. Some New Year's sarcasm over here? Yeah, 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 he's trash, and he couldn't coach a high school football team, if I had to say. Well, I hope they actually do hire him, which I, they probably won't, but, I, I mean, it's still, we just still don't know but yeah. at this point. But. Ugh, poor Cincinnati. Yeah, the Steelers are always going to be relevant. I just worry, I, I don't know what this iteration is going to be. If it were me, I might get rid of Tomlin, because he keeps losing these guys, but the Steelers don't, don't sound to me like an organization that uh is that keen on firing like a, a well-respected coach in order to keep players happy but like they gotta move on from ben ben and eli were drafted i think one year apart or maybe in the same year i believe Ooh, yeah it's tough i wanted to say ben was the year before eli and rivers but it might have been this yeah it was definitely around that time yeah they were both drafted yeah. over 14 years ago i mean it's it's time to move on from big ben he, he's yeah, not and well he might just he, he may just retire i don't know um what his mindset is there but yeah. one could hope anyway though yeah tomlin is interesting i don't it seems like yeah you're right about what the steelers organization is they like kind of thrive on 
they're a reputation for keeping coaches for a long time, like having that continuity. But at a certain point, I don't know. But yeah, Tomlin's as of as of right now, you know, uh, Monday evening of Black Monday, as they call it, still on the team. But I think I saw eight teams have coaching vacancies now. So Gase got fired out of Miami. I've seen him tied to the Browns potentially, which would be interesting because Jarvis Landry apparently hates him, and that was his former coach on Miami, and even tweeted out something today like of laughing emojis, but so, someone under his comment was like, you know, this is probably going to be your coach again next year, man. Why are you laughing at this? Yeah. That would be interesting. McCarthy, obviously, it was already out in Green Bay. I hope that he doesn't come to the... I've heard him linked to the Browns, but, like, I don't... N- nothing I hear matters, but... Well, the reason is because he has ties to Dorsey, the GM. Yeah. But, man, I hope not. The Cardinals coach got fired. He was one and done. I think Wilkes is his name. Um, I don't know much about him, but obviously... Didn't get, <sighs> they were so bad. They had a, a bad year, bad roster. I don't know how much is his fault, but... He's out. Bulls is out in New York, of course. That was yeah, that makes sense. You can see the writing on the wall of that one for a long time. And uh, yeah, there's one or two more. Now I'm I'm blanking on the other ones. But is there? I kind of think like there's just not enough good coaches to go around, or at least if there are, they're not going to get hired because they just it just seems like they're they're all retreads. Then when people are getting when people are looking at the vacancy in one place, they're just mostly talking about someone who just got fired either last year or this year from another team like all retreads yeah, like it's the same names over and over again and they keep doing poorly and we've got to start pulling more exciting interesting offensive or defensive minds from college because they the guys who have had a chance in the nfl have had a chance in the nfl and it's not working like todd bowles jim caldwell these people keep getting jobs uh every year one of the patriots assistants gets a job and just like loses his ass did you see that bill uh, barnwell tweet by the way yeah, what was that? Uh, it was just, like, something to paraphrase. Like, eight coaches have been fired. Here's a list of great candidates to fill the job. Jim Caldwell, IDK, a Patriots uh, assistant. And then, like, the names of, like, three people who everyone knows are bad. Oh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I was saying a little bit. I mean, because I was going to mention, too, Josh McDaniels also is always brought up along with these other retreads. Last year, he did the switcheroo where it seemed like he was going to sign with the Colts, but then went back on it or whatever but yeah what you're saying about college I don't know if a lot of maybe if you're talking about pulling from assistants and coordinators and things but I kind of feeling now like a lot of the the big college hot head coaches don't want to leave college yeah a lot of the time they really don't like certainly Saban never will Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma has obviously for for obvious reasons been linked to both Dallas and Cleveland uh, although now Dallas isn't getting rid of their head coach you think there's no chance even if they uh, get whipped by the, the Seahawks this, uh, this Saturday? When we get whipped by the Seahawks this Saturday, uh, no, absolutely no chance. All right, now don't uh, don't give away your point and agree over here that I might make you do for this game, revealing what you think is going to happen. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like Garrett's ever going to get fired, especially if they're doing decently, which they obviously are. No, my grandchildren are going to hate Jason Garrett. <laughs> Maybe... His grandchildren will coach the team at that point. They'll just pass it down to him, his red-haired grandchildren. Hold on, I gotta ro- load my revolver. <laughs> oh boy, you you have an actual revolver? No, it's a joke about fucking killing myself. It's a gun-free household the... here in Brooklyn. You'll just put your head in the oven like uh, like Sylvia Plath or whatever, right? Yeah. That seems more your style. You, eh, you're probably right. <laughs> Ooh, I do have a gas oven. All right, well... You know what? The Cowboys might win. You you may forestall that suicide for at least another week. But let's talk. I mean, is there anything else you want to talk about from the regular season, coaches, etc. Before we, I want to look at all four of these wild card matchups here. Man, no. <laughs> like the last three weeks of the regular season were like 
completely uninteresting to me. Like, as soon as the Cowboys clinched, I, I sort of checked out watching football. Um, I'm, I'm excited to watch, like, playoff games again, but... All right. So, let's talk about the Cowboys. We'll start with that game. It is on Saturday. It's the second game Saturday, but fine. I already talked about my team for a bit, the Browns and their season, my excitement level. What's your excitement level for this Cowboys squad? What's your thoughts on the season as a whole? Give it to me. My excitement level for this playoff game with this Cowboys team is bummed in advance. We're not going to beat the fucking Seahawks. As you know, this is the first time we've played the Seahawks in the playoffs. I was going to ask, yeah, this never, I mean, we talked, I guess, I think we talked about it last podcast, but I couldn't remember. Yeah, the, the teams have never played a big playoff. Yeah, game. so I don't know what to expect from Seattle based on history, but I do know that we rely on our defense, they rely on their defense, they have a mobile quarterback, we have a mobile quarterback, but their mobile quarterback is maybe, maybe the More fifth mobile, best quarterback in the league and Dak Prescott maybe sitting somewhere around 20th. All right, so the, before we get into the matchup more, your, your excitement level, all right, so you don't think you're going to win, it sounds like, but what, what's your thoughts on the season as a whole, just from the Cowboys perspective? Yeah, you know, like, I'm pleased with the season. Like, watching Cowboys football hasn't been a miserable experience from time to time. Um, I had a great game uh, experience watching with my Eagles friend when we clinched the East by beating them. Or we didn't clinch the East, but we won, we won the East by beating them. Uh, we didn't clinch it until two weeks later when we beat Tampa. It's been fun. I really like Zeke a lot. Like I said, if, if we win one playoff game, I will be satisfied with the Amari Cooper trade. Uh, but then we have to re-sign him. I'm really happy with this defense, too. The pass rush, Tank Crawford coming along, finding Leighton Van Der Esch out of nowhere, to the point where, like, we could let Sean Lee go this summer, take his cap hit off our books, and be fine. Like, Leighton Van Der Esch is very good at football. Yeah, I saw a tweet to that regard yesterday where that I was laughing at where they're showing, like, Sean Lee playing in the game, whatever, a, a cap of him suited up, and someone was saying, like, why, why uh, is he in... Uh, playing this game and then the guy tweeting it was like the backups uh usually get burn around game week 17 here or whatever <laughs> yeah Sean Lee was really good for a long time and I really liked him if he were ever not concussed and like yeah not just concussions he seems to get all myriad of injuries I feel like yeah yeah he's super injury prone and like needs to retire and not just because we're fine without him first of all all football players should retire it's a barbaric sport that is going to go away in 25 years it is not going to be a thing in the future but to people like that who are always hurt, just, like, take the hint from the universe, man. Like, keep what's left of the years you have remaining. So it sounds like you don't think he's going to go out of cha- – he can retire a champion after this season, though. Because I'm, I'm sure I would like to do something like that if he was going to go out. But Yeah, I mean, I'd love for the Cowboys to win the Super Bowl, too. But, like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, let's talk about the matchup. But getting into the Week 17 game, actually, I, I did think it was kind of interesting that they were – you know, Zeke didn't suit up. But obviously Dak played, and it, they ended up winning the game at the end. It was kind of an exciting end. I did watch the last couple of minutes of that game just because it was on, and I was getting ready for the, the 4 o'clock games. But it was a pretty nice pass to Beasley and a, and a great catch by him in the back of the end zone. Then they went for two and got it. But basically they risked injury to, to a lot of their starters to go out and win this game to... Rush did get hurt. He did, okay. So they did this to give their rival Giants a better... Uh, a better uh, shot in the draft like a lower pick like what? yeah that's the fucking thing about how stupid the cowboys like organization is Dak was out there the whole offensive line was out there uh the whole defense was out there the only player of note that they rested was zeke and fucking against the giants who like you don't want to lose to the giants because rivalry whatever whatever but like the giants haven't been relevant in six years they already lost because they're sitting at home for the playoffs and you're not i mean yeah exactly i i don't want that extra win like we're not going to get a better seed 
I don't want that extra win more than I want the Giants to suffer. It, like, this organization hasn't thought strategically one time in its life, and that was my same argument when they picked Zeke over Jalen Ramsey, which ended up being, you know, like, fine, it was a, it was a great pick, Zeke's a great player. But you know what I mean, though. Yeah, and it has so often not worked out like that. I guess the only argument I can think of is that they want some type of momentum going into the wild card game, but... But momentum doesn't exist, and you know that. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know if that's true, but I know your thoughts on it, but... And I'm not saying that this... I don't think they should have done what they did, but I guess that's the justification that they would have to put... Well, what happened to Van Der Esch, by the way? I didn't see that he got hurt. Um, I just know that he's hurt. I missed the play. Okay, but you don't know if he's playing your next in the game, or because that could obviously be huge. He should play. Okay. It's what I hear. Doesn't seem like the type of guy that's gonna have a minor injury and set out or anything like that. What I've seen of him so far this year. But yeah, who knows? Well, let's get to the game then. Seahawks at Cowboys. Obviously, we're being sarcastic here. There's a lot of history between these two teams. Funny how these things work out consistently. I, I Again, I know you don't like any type of... Uh, karma's not the right word, but uh, what's the thing, term you use for it? Magical thinking. Magical thinking. But it does seem kind of strange to me how like this how certain teams can just continually get matched up. Yeah, it's out of fifteen teams or sixteen or whatever. I get it, but and some teams are better than others in the playoffs more. But it does seem like you know a couple of things are different, and it would have been you know Bears, Hawks, Bears, and whatever. But it's again, it's it's a Cowboys. Seahawks, at least you get it at home this time. What's the Cowboys' home? Well, well, uh, I was going to ask you some more specific questions, but why don't I just jump off the bat and make you start talking about why uh, the Cowboys will win. I want to hear that argument more than your pessimism right now. Young Hey Joe, give me a little point and agree, which is uh, the game where, uh, for the listeners, where I give you a team and you have to say why they will win. Then I'll see if your agreement swayed me or not. And of course, you have to argue hard whether you believe it or not. You have to try to convince me. Why will your Cowboys beat the Seahawks on Saturday? Yeah, for sure. So our defense is firing on all cylinders or whatever classical catchphrase you want to say. Everything's going going well for our defense. We keep quarterbacks in front of us. We keep running backs like close to the line. Our pass rush is, is going off thanks in part to Tank Crawford. Both performing on his own and soaking up double teams. We're getting a lot of guys involved with interesting blitzes. Our linebackers are stable. Jalen Smith and Leighton Van Der Esch are absolute visions. Just doing great early on in their careers. Very happy with them. Our cornerbacks have stepped up a little bit. And that is going to do going to be, you know, a boon against the Seattle offense that is currently ranked ninth but doesn't have any weapons other than Russell Wilson himself that terrify you. Like, it, it's really reminiscent of one of those Packers games where if Russell Wilson isn't doing it, no one's doing it. Like, Doug Baldwin's not a thing. Their running backs themselves aren't very good. They finally do have an O-line capable of blocking for those running backs. It really does, to my mind, all, like, rest on Russell Wilson and whether we're able to contain him. Um, and for large stretches of the game, we will be able to. And then, of course, Russell Wilson's going to do what Russell Wilson does. It's really about keeping, you know, keeping the level for the rest of the time. On offense, we're going to be in a bit of trouble. You can kind of run on Seattle. Uh, which is great because we have one of the four best running backs in the league and a great offensive line. We've got a quarterback who can get out of a jam, which is great because their pass rush is, is, is pretty hot right now. The one area where they're having some trouble is, other than this this young guy whose name I'm forgetting, the second-round cornerback uh, that they picked up last year, they're having trouble with depth in their secondary, 
And just like we did against the Eagles, we are going to be able to isolate our guys who are not Amari Cooper against some of those other less talented, less physical quarterbacks and, and make some hay while Amari Cooper draws the defense, draw, pulls the top off the defense for us and pulls the middle out of it. What's with this dinging right now? Are you, you highlighting your points you're making with this? Uh, no, that's my girlfriend. Sorry, I'm getting texts. <laughs> I figured, but it would have, if there were time just a little better, it would have, it would have been one pretty well. Uh, is that the conclusion of your point and uh, there? That was actually the cl- conclusion of my point. It was a great time to ask me about the sound effects. All right. So now I have to say whether I agree. And I kind of do agree. I think the Cowboys, uh, I guess to get into my thoughts, I think the Cowboys should be slight favorites in this, which they actually are Vegas-wise. I think they're like two and a half or three, like it's close. But I think these teams are kind of similar to me. Uh, you said about the Seahawks running running game. I do actually like Chris Carson. I think he's pretty good. And he's no Zeke, but I think they can run it a little bit. But you guys can too, obviously. I think both of your defenses are kind of like B-level this year. Not the best, not top five, the best. I'm not talking, I don't know if this DVOA or whatever, but to the eye test, to me, they're just like, they're both one notch below the very top. And well, TVOA says that as well. Their defense is ranked 14th in total efficiency, and our defense is ranked 9th in total efficiency. Okay, so that bears out. And then it comes down to quarterback play. I like Russell Wilson a little more but than Dak, but I just don't think he has. I think he has one or two less weapons, especially given Amari Cooper. And I think it's going to come down a lot to time in this game, ball control, which either team could win that. So if, if I think both teams are equally able to control the ball pretty well. It might then come down to actually one or two big plays. And I just think the Cowboys are more capable of making those one or two big plays, whether it is Zeke breaking through for like a 50, 60 yard run, whether it is Cooper getting open or Beasley getting open uh, down the sideline, something like that. Whereas what does Wilson have? He sometimes throws a long ball to like Tyler Lockett for like 50 yards or something that he's done that a few times this year, but... Well, the thing with Wilson is the the play that takes nine seconds to develop and he's he's twirling around in the backfield completely frazzled and then he just sets his feet and finds a guy like Rogers style, just like very far away who wasn't open three seconds before. But that's so... I, I agree with you on that, but that's a lot of times he'll get that for like a back-breaking first down pickup or a touchdown when they're like in the red zone or the 25-yard or 30 yards or down. But I feel like he doesn't do it as much when it's just like what I'm kind of talking about is just a random play during the game first down second down whatever where you're gonna pick up a a huge chunk of yardage uh you know yeah this year I haven't really noticed that from them it is a classic Russell Wilson play to do that and pick up chunks but you're you're right Uh, I've not been seeing a lot out of him in that regard uh they do have the ninth ranked offense so as far as picking up their downs and shit probably that's what's going on uh they're not getting a ton of chunk plays at least at least the eye test says I think it is pretty heavily due to their improved offensive line that their offense has jumped up because he does doesn't get sacked as much this year when he's not having to improvise so much yeah it doesn't have to improvise as much so but basically i'm picking the cowboys in this game i think even though the history is not on the side of that against the seahawks because of what i just said maybe one or two big plays in the game if the ball is controlled fairly equally on both sides which i think it will be so yeah that's what i'm going with do you, do you agree with yourself though it sounds like you don't you you like the seahawks here I almost really do agree with myself, but there's no way we're going to win this fucking game. But are you using magical thinking or, you know, history, whatever, to as the reason why you don't think so? Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess this is kind of 
a form of magical thinking. I mean, we're the fucking cowboys. We're not going to win. All right. I don't think magical is maybe we need a new word subbed in for that since it's on the negative side or the <laughs> just the, the uh, pessimistic side. But anyway, let's uh, let's move on because I want to highlight all three of the other games before we get into movies that are relevant here. Let's stay with the NFC and move to Sunday. Sunday night game or later afternoon game is your rival Eagles at those Bears. Do you want... Uh, actually, here's what I want to do for this. So... A couple podcasts ago, I unveiled the new game, which is Take Me Home, Talk Me Out. That's where I kind of am eyeing a road, uh, or sorry, a home underdog that most people don't think is going to win, hence them being the underdog. Then you have to talk me out of why that won't happen. Now, that's not possible with this slate of wildcard games because there's no home underdogs, but the biggest underdog is the Eagles in this game on the road, and I'm kind of getting the reverse, or not really the reverse, but just the the road version of this. I kind of like the Eagles here. Why don't you talk me out of that and tell me why the Bears will win? Yeah, you want me to talk you out of the fucking Eagles? Nick Foles sucks. And I know about the Super Bowl last year, and I know that he's the one who called for the Philly special. I know that he jumped into Carson Wentz's place a few weeks ago and picked up right where he left off, winning games for them that they might have otherwise lost. Nick Foles sucks, and there's a reason that he hasn't been the Eagles starter for all this time, and there's a reason that he was the backup when they drafted Carson Wentz and went with Carson Wentz over him in Carson Wentz's first year and his second year, and this year when Carson Wentz was back. Nick Foles sucks, and I've been playing against Nick Foles for, what, eight years um, off and on? And Has he really been around that eight years, man? I think so. I think it was 2012 was the Nick Foles season. Because I was, I was definitely still living in Arkansas. And he was around two years before that then? Uh, yeah. I mean, it could, that could have been his freshman year. I don't know. Or rookie well. season, rather. But he sucks. He's going to throw away games. It's just like having... It's a little better than having Mark Sanchez as your backup quarterback. He will make plays for you. Uh, but also, he's fucking Mark Sanchez. He also, he's fucking Nick Foles. He sucks, and that's going to be a problem. They're, the Eagles also otherwise are kind of banged up. At running back, they're featuring Darren Sproles, who for the last three years at least has been more kind of a, a plug-and-play guy. Legendary third down receiving back but they're going to be starting him in the kind of space where you'd like to see you know a LeGarrette Blunt in his prime uh Ajay Ajayi Darren Sproles there are skills that you want a running back to have if you're going to run those kind of plays that Darren Sproles probably doesn't have especially at this time with his first of all body um and at this time in his career uh, that said uh Doug Peterson's really good at football so like maybe he's got like the perfect game plan to use all his pieces they don't have any wide receivers that I trust also, Aguilar and Alshon Jeffrey are, like, on my all-team, had them on both on my fantasy team four seasons ago, and they both dropped three passes in a pivotal game and, and ended up getting me, like, two points each. I don't know. They don't have a lot. Obviously, obviously, Ertz is, with Gronk declining, maybe the best wide receiver in the game, or a tight end in the game, excuse me. Yeah, some people would say Kelsey and maybe, but they're right up there. But they don't have a lot. They don't have a lot of offensive firepower against the Bears, who may be the one elite defense in the game this year. And Khalil Mack is going to eat them alive. Khalil Mack and company. Like the the Bears defense are that good, and the Eagles defense, you know, really hasn't been that good this year after you know a stunning run last year. Well, let me ask you this question in a vacuum. All right, let's say that Dak is out for the the game against the Seahawks this week, and you can magically pick up either Mitch Trubisky or Nick Foles. One of them, either one of them will start uh, for your team there. Who do you pick? Trubisky. Mr. Biscuits, really. Mr. Biscuits, yeah. Mr. Biscuits has a dimension to him. 
He's not great at playing off schedule, but he is good at improvising on his feet, at least. And, like, you can expect him, just like Blaine Gabbert, just because he cannot do otherwise, to pick you up two or three first downs a game on his feet, rather than just, you know, throw it away or take a sack. That is kind of because he's not great yet at reading through his progressions, or waiting for people to get over open, or, like, feeling pocket pressure, and just stepping up and throwing. But he does get those first downs, uh, and I think Nick Foles sucks. I, I've never... Like, yeah, you made that clear. Congratulations on your Super Bowl MVP. I'm very proud of you, but, like, uh, I wouldn't... I mean, obviously, like, maybe he sucks, but once, like, December 10th rolls around or whatever, it seems like he's good. I mean, he's won every game for them both years now, and they're, like, uh, basically... There will come a reckoning. <laughs> yeah, maybe it'll happen, but I just... When I, that's the main reason I'm looking at this one is because... I do think, despite what you're saying about stats, whatever, it does seem like the team plays different with him than with Wentz, even though Wentz on paper, and even not on paper, just like, especially last year before he got hurt, he seems like the much better QB, but it's possible that they just have some chemistry that we can't pick up on as much, Why? what the reason is, but the team has some chemistry with Foles under center here. Well, and to, to I guess, one-up your point, I have heard and read this thing where, like, the difference has been that, like, Carson Wentz is, like, a quarterback's quarterback and he wants to be involved in the play-calling process and wants to be able to check out of things if he sees something interesting, which does lend itself to, like, one brand of excellence. But you have a great coach, you have a great offensive mind calling plays, and Nick Foles is very, very interested in just running the offense. Just uh, as Terrell Owens would say, just go on with the plays that were called. Yeah, so that might be the difference. Like, the everyone knows what's going on 100% of the time with Foles. I will take experience from the quarterback position in the playoffs generally nine times out of ten over not now there are some exceptions maybe like a mark sanchez or someone like that like you alluded to where i'm like all right i'll ride with the inexperienced guy because i know what this other guy is but it's hard to say that with Foles, i know what this guy is because even though he seems like he sucks a lot of the time he obviously did go on a legendary essentially run last year for uh, five six games whatever it was and did do it and trubisky i probably like almost every even though the Bears have won a lot this year, obviously that's why they're in the position they're in the home playoff game here. But I think it's a lot due to the defense, which is not a revolutionary point or anything. Obviously the best defense in the league here, but I like almost every rookie QB from this class more than Trubisky, I think, from what I've seen. I don't really get it with Mr. Biscuits here. Like I'd, I could easily see him making a few mistakes here to cost them the game. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely gonna, is the thing. Like... <laughs> He's definitely going to make those mistakes. It might cost them the game. The Bears have the best defense in the league, is the other thing. The the D being so good, and at home, of course, is why it's going to be tough to take the Eagles here, and I probably won't ultimately do it, but that is kind of the upset I was looking at. Yeah, we've seen this playbook before, like with specifically with the Bears, and also with the Ravens a couple times in the last 20 years. So the team that's defense, the, the Steelers, during their first uh, Roethlisberger Super Bowl, like the team with the defense that carries them over the finish line. Uh, I don't know that the Bears are going to win the damn Super Bowl, but if we're letting, you know, history call the shots here, like, this has been written. Yeah, I don't see the Bears beating the Saints. I really don't, if it came down to that. I mean, maybe they would have, a, obviously, a much better chance if, if Drew Brees had to go to coach Chicago, but it's not going to happen, obviously, so... I just can't see Biscuits and the Bears, even with their great defense, rolling into New Orleans and winning that game. I can't see it. Yeah, you never know, but yeah. And that's why I think this year is different than... I I think the Bears are the outlier this year. We've been mentioning it because they're one of the few teams with a really great defense. 
I just don't think that this is the year for it's not the year when a defensive team is going to win the Super Bowl. No, it really doesn't seem like that. So, but anyway, let's talk about some offensive teams here with the Colts at the Texans. Back up. This is the first wild card game Saturday afternoon. Typically when they put the worst matchup on, which I guess this is, uh, it's a little harder to call this year. The Texans have been here a lot, especially when they face those bungles. But with Deshaun Watson and the whole offense, I don't, I don't think they're as boring of a team, obviously, as they used to be or as bad of a matchup here. And this is a division game. Uh, this isn't bad for early Saturday wild card to me. No, no. Uh, I think we've got, this is my least favorite game of the week, but um, it could be interesting. Uh, we've got Luck and Deshaun Watson. Um, I'm, I'm fond of both of them. The rest of those offenses I, I don't really get, and I don't think that Bill O'Brien should be coaching a professional football team the year of our Lord 2018. But, you know, whatever has been working. Um, he kind of got lucky, I think, with, with the Deshaun Watson thing, because um, he's more known as a D guy anyway, so... And he has good pieces on that side of the ball, obviously. And then now he's got this kind of stud. And, you know, Hopkins uh, finally has a, a consistent guy. And he was already doing great before when he had who any random guy off the street throwing it to him, basically. So Yeah. That, all that said, though, I, it's, it's hard to dismiss the Colts for me here because... They're playing really well. Yeah, they're playing so well. And I feel like the Colts play always play well against the Texans, their division rivals here since the Texans have been in the league, which is now, what, 18 years or whatever, but 17, 18 years since they're an expansion team. But it seems like the Colts of this, just not even, maybe not even just against the Texans, but when the Colts have a pretty good team, I feel like they generally are the class of the AFC South here, which is a division that often is terrible, but they're kind of like that older brother team to me. A lot of it was because they had Peyton Manning for all those years, of course, but do you not feel that way about that this division? Not anymore. <laughs> no, I think it's, I think this division, I mean, now that I think about it, I don't know, because the, the Titans always suck and the Jaguars always suck, except for last year. So maybe. Teams have smaller windows now, is the thing. So like every time it's been the Colts the last couple of years, and every time it's been the Texans the last couple of years, it's been almost a completely different Colts and Texans team. Um, and then you have that Jaguars team that's window closed, you know, immediately. The Jaguars are not back now. Well, I don't know who you're talking about because I don't, I don't recognize that pronunciation of what, whatever team you're saying. But You know exactly what, what team from what town I'm talking about, old chap. No, I'm, uh, nah, I'm not sure. But anyway, we're talking uh, Colts-Texans here. I forget about those other bums in this, in this uh, sorry division, which isn't as sorry as it used to be, like we've been saying. I mean, do you think it, this one's hard for you to call also, it sounds like? It is. I'd probably take the Colts. You would probably take the Colts. Yeah, they're, I don't know, their defense is a little better. Yeah. Or excuse me, their offense is quite a bit better. Their defense isn't much better. Yeah, I was going to say, because I would have thought the Texans had the better D of these two teams. Uh, they do. They certainly have bigger names, obviously, with Clowney, Watt, everyone, but uh, on the D-line there, but. Yeah, the difference being that the Texans really don't have an O-line to protect uh, Deshaun Watson, and it might be a pretty long day with those uh, with those new faces on the Colts' defense putting in a lot of work. Yeah, and with home field advantage, do the Texans have a great home field advantage? I don't know. No, there are no, there are no Texans fans. All right, so, I mean, I know there are, but it's not like one of the teams where you're like, yeah, that's, like going back to the Bears game, that should be a decent home field advantage there. And when we get to the Ravens game, that'll be interesting to call, actually, but... In a vacuum, Ravens usually have pretty good home field advantage. Yeah, I don't know. I can't decide on this one yet. Again, it is only Monday. I have till Saturday to make my official pick here. But for the podcast, I might ride with the Colts also as maybe the upset pick here over the Eagles. 
which won't be as big of an upset as the Eagles would be, but if I'm picking one road upset here, that might be it. Because I do think they they are hot, and the Texans are pretty hot too. But Oh, you mean the Colts rather than the Eagles? It took me a minute to catch up to you. you said Colts rather than Eagles for my upset pick here. Yeah. I'm just saying it's not as big of an upset line-wise, but, but I do think history is kind of on the Colts' side. The Colts do well in the playoffs. They, I, I mean, they, they really seem to. And I don't think... I think they can they go certainly into do well in the wild card round. Yeah, and I think they can go into a a road rivals home and beat them. So let's finish up with uh, a game I'm very interested in, which is the Chargers at the Ravens. Uh, of course, I'm going to root for the Chargers here because I hate the Ravens, but um, it's going to be an interesting uh, interesting to see how this game plays out. Now the Ravens did just go into LA and beat them like two three weeks ago. So you might say the Ravens have the advantage from already just beating them, but I think there is an advantage to having seen already once this Ravens offense that they're running right now, which is not what any other team's running in the league right now, and it has caught teams off guard, certainly. It seems to have, right? It has, but I don't know. You think they'll be able to just do it to the same team again? Or Well, do you think this... Let's go a broader point on the Ravens here. Do you think that type of offense is even sustainable in the long term? It's hard to say. I'm certainly, like, pleased that we were able to find the counterfactual, um, counterintuitive, you know, counter-meta offense here, and that it's been working so well. I'm especially pleased from Lamar Jackson having taken that job from no-count Joe Flacco. Do I think it's going to last? I don't know, man. I mean, like, the league has a history of, like, scouting specific teams and, like, your second and third year using the same stuff isn't going to work. So, like, I don't know. I think probably you'd need to see Lamar develop a little more as a pocket passer in response to team scouting like his ground ability but also like you don't want him to stop using that feature of his game it I don't know it's hard to talk about and I'm not smart enough to do it well there is one so I I saw up close yesterday watching the Browns Ravens game the most I've seen this offense there was one particular play toward the end of the game where it kind of showed to me that it's not going to be sustainable, which was... So the Browns had come back then. They're only down two at this point. The Ravens are need to keep the drive alive or else they're going to give the ball back to the Browns who are going to have the chance to basically run a two-minute drill and, and you know, the Ravens blow it like a, a second year in a row, choke completely. And it's third down, third and like five, right? In any other situation, you would you'd have to throw that past the line of scrimmage, right? It, it, your season on the line, basically, third and five. Yeah. And they they did a play where, basically, Lamar tried to pitch it backwards. It was a bad pitch to begin with, and it hit the ground. But even if it was successful, at best, would have got back to the line of scrimmage. And that's like what they that's the play they ran with their season on the line when they have to get the first down. The Browns had a chance then, and then the, the D came up on a big stop, and they won the game, but... You know, that kind of showed to me, like, that's... If you don't have faith in him to make the play there or you think it's going to be a better option to do that play in that spot, I don't see it being sustainable. But I do think, you know, Jackson can adjust his game eventually. But it, but it comes down to this playoff run here for this season, obviously. I mean... Yeah. Yeah, I definitely... I get what you're saying. They, they clearly don't trust him and he might not trust himself um, enough to, like run and offense in all caps uh right now and that's fine like you have time to grow it's his first season but uh but they gotta beat rivers and the chargers here and that's the thing i don't think like Felipe Rios and the chargers are 
actually really fucking good. Like, that offense is that offense is humming. It's the third most efficient offense uh, by DVOA, and they currently have the eighth most efficient defense, um, whereas the Ravens are rocking the 15th most efficient offense now. Granted, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of ground and pound, run the clock situation, and that's factoring the whole season, whereas, you know, we're, part of that's Joe Flacco's fault. But I don't know. Do you have a breakdown also of the of the Chargers run defense where they rank in that this year? Specifically run defense. Because they watching the game yesterday, they, for a lot of especially the first half, the Ravens whether it was Jackson or their running backs, they were going for 15 yards a clip, no problem. 15 20 yards just gashing. But I feel like the Chargers have a better run D than the Browns do. Obviously they lost that like we've been saying by the other week, but I'm I'm curious to see what the disparity is there. Yeah, the Chargers rank 10th in both run and pass defense, um, whereas the Browns were actually 25th in run defense. So yeah, so I knew they didn't have a good year there. Worry about. All right, so, that's, so they can tighten it up more than the Browns did yesterday. And I kind of think that this is, I mean, Phil Rivers, this might be now or never time for him to win a Super Bowl. I think this is going to be the last best shot he has probably. Kind of the old guard of QBs. He's kept it together better than Eli and, and Ben have, but they they have Super Bowls, multiple. Yeah. But this could be the year. I mean, let's let's say he wins this game, right? Would, who would they play? They would play the the Pats, I guess. Or But depending on how it works out, they would play the Pats or the Chiefs. They could definitely beat the Chiefs. We saw they just did. I don't see why they couldn't beat this current iteration of this Pats team, which I'm not too high on. those teams, and it's a crapshoot whether they can beat the team that they see from the NFC. Like, could they beat the Saints? Could they beat the Rams? Like, absolutely, right? I mean, a Saints-Chargers matchup might be the best. and I, That might be what I'm rooting for this year. That might be the best-case scenario for me as a, just as a fan of the of what teams I like to see. It's kind of funny because I always kind of hated Rivers over the years. I still don't really like his personality or anything. Like, he seems like a douche to me kind of, but... I have softened on him a little bit, especially considering some other guys in the league now that I, that I hate a lot more. So I wouldn't mind, uh, you know, if it was that Chargers-Saints, I would probably root for the Saints, though. But if it was Chargers versus most other teams, I'd probably root for Phil here. And I'm going to probably in most of these games that they play if they win this year. Yeah, I'm pro-Chargers. You know, and they got, a, other than Phil, too, they, they do have a, a few guys that I, that I enjoy uh, watching, certainly. It would be ridiculous if it was the two new L.A. teams matched up in the Super Bowl this year. That would be so undeserving for L.A., even though it's going to be my new hometown pretty soon, in time for that Super Bowl, in fact. But speaking of L.A., that's where movies are made. Well, you know, they're made in Atlanta and you know, Vancouver and stuff, but, but uh, you know, that's where the movie industry is. Should we get into movies are relevant, or is there anything else you want to wrap up from Wild Card Weekend here? No, I'm pretty well done with football. Uh, I think we covered it all. And you did say it won't exist in 20 years. I uh, hope that was a joke. Because we're doing a football podcast. But no, they'll, get, uh, they'll, they'll make technology to protect the players, I'm sure, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's talk about The Favorite. So that's the movie I mentioned at the start of the podcast. Yeah, if you're not interested in any movie talk, feel free to depart now. If you even stayed on this long for our NFL talk, NFL talk. But... Uh, our last uh, movie podcast was a, a quite a long one on the Coen brothers. I don't know if you saw, I did actually chop it up into two parts. Part one was about the general filmography. Part two was um, a little deeper dive into A Serious Man, one of their films, and their newest film, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is possibly a film that will garner some Oscar noms. 
in uh, one regard or the other. So go back and listen to that on the feed here if you haven't. It was a good one, I think. But we're going to look at another possible Oscar. Well, I would say a definite. Uh, going to get some nods here. for, And that's kind of what the movies were focusing on this time of year. So that's the favorite. You saw it a couple weeks ago, is that right? Yes. And uh, I just saw it this week, um, so it's probably fresher to me. But uh, was it your favorite movie of the year? Um, maybe, although, like... Favorite with a U, by the way. Yeah, of course. British style. My favorite movie of the year might be Annihilation, so far anyway. Yeah. But uh, the favorite was really good. Like, I really liked it. I've always been fond of Yoras Lanthimos. Yeah. Well, this is... I liked this of the best of the movies I've seen from them, I'll say. I really liked The Lobster. I like this better than The Killing of a Sacred Deer, for sure. No, I didn't see that one yet still, but... Dogtooth I liked from him. I think I've seen three movies of his. Dogtooth, which is not in English. I forget what language it's even in, but... Well, what nationality is he? Greek? Okay, I think it's in Greek. I liked that one a lot. I was I was intrigued by it when I saw that a couple you know years back. The Lobster, I liked some aspects of it, but... I didn't love it overall. Maybe I should watch it again, but parts of it didn't really work for me. And then this is the third movie I've seen by him. I never saw Killing of a Sacred Deer still, but I have heard that this is his most quote-unquote mainstream film. Um, it, it seems like it is, even though there's a lot of weird stuff in it still. It seems like more palatable for a mainstream audience. Yeah, it's definitely his most accessible despite all the weird stuff. Costume drama, queens in the court. Like, got it, got it, I'm here. I think maybe why... Partially why I like, might have liked this better than The Lobster is that, and and Dogteeth as well better, The Lobster was a complete fantasy world where it was just a different type of world where there's different rules, whatever, you know. It's main thrust of the movie, but still. Magical realism. Yeah, it's it's a different kind of world, whereas Dogteeth, have you seen that, by the way? I don't think I've seen Dogteeth. Well, but it, basically it's about this like family, these parents that have three kids that are all at this point yeah, like 16 to 18 whatever and they shield them their whole life in this house they like make up stuff like the kids don't know how the world really is because the parents just tell them entire lies about the world and everything and then it kind of devolves from there but something like that is strange to have happened but it's technically possible it could happen and then something like the favorite is set in a world that most people are somewhat fairly familiar at least with the kind of what it's supposed to be the 1700s right england like the wigs, whatever, powdered wigs and all that kind of society. And that's already kind of a ridiculous society to begin with, you know? So the off-kilter stuff works there for me better because it's already putting me in a spot where I, I know it's a real thing. And then it's... I mean, I like fantasy movies too, don't get me wrong. But but in this case, I know it's a real thing. And that, that could be... That could lead to weird situations anyway. And then with the lobster, it's it's not a real thing. And it's putting a bunch of weird stuff on top of the that, you know. Yeah, I got you. How am I telling what parts are just purposely bizarre for no reason or what has a reason? You know what I mean? And some people, and so that might be the reason why a lot of people like that that particular film. Because you, you want to figure that stuff out. But I like this one better. But anyway, were you going to say what, uh, what you... Oh, you said you liked Annihilation maybe better than this. But, but this was up there. Yeah, it's a really good movie. Were you positively construct by this movie? Yes, I was positively construct by this movie. Me as well, young uh, v- VJ, or what, what is it? Hey Joe. Young Hey Joe, so sorry. Yes, because <laughs> pretty good a Hey Joe scene from Emma Stone there. As cinematic Hey Joe's go, that was up there for me. That eye roll is going to become iconic. Yeah, I, 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 Emma Stone's great, man. I mean, um, 
she's one of the best five working actresses. I, I love her so much. Her eyes unto themselves are a special effect. But uh, before we talk about the acting, since I just brought up that term, uh, construct, which I love, there was a lot of great, uh, I, lo- I love the script in general for this, but there was a lot of great kind of, I don't know if they're old timey terms, I guess they are, but just kind of terms you don't, you obviously don't hear in everyday life that I was, was snickering at and whatnot. Yeah, in a lot of ways, it feels like a bit of an anachronism, which is like in keeping with, you know, the, that, the weird like dance off scene, um, stuff like that. Yes, yeah, that scene was great. Yeah, I guess we should... S- I guess from this point, you know, we both like the movie, right? And the acting and everything. I guess we'll, from this point on in the podcast, spoilers ahead. You know, we'll just talk about the whole movie. Yeah, spoilers on. Yeah, the dancing scene I loved. I was kind of almost like, oh, why did the queen have to stop it right there? I wanted to keep going. I wanted to watch more. But uh, that definitely seemed somewhat anachronistic. But again, I don't know if it technically is um, because it is like that society is kind of weird like that with these royal people types get up to... I don't know. Yeah, well, they were doing dances from, like, the 1970s, though. Okay, were they? I don't... I mean, I didn't see any, uh... No one dropped down and did the worm or anything, or, uh... Any breakdancing or anything. Right, right. I guess that's more 80s and 70s, but... Yeah, so, to the acting, though... Well, so the queen is played by... what Queen Anne, is that her name? Anne, right? Yeah. Uh, who's a real person, obviously. She is played by Olivia Coleman, who's not someone I'm too familiar with. I think she's in Hot Fuzz, the... That movie, uh, I kind of remember it from that. I don't know if I remember it from too much else, but I guess just a typical kind of British working actor. It seems like there's just like 50 British people that play every role and when there's a British person, but I guess she's one of them. But um, She's in The Lobster, too. She is in The Lobster. I don't remember her in that. What, what, what role was she? Oh, the hotel manager. She was the manager. Oh, I guess I do remember it. Well, yeah, that I guess it shows. She's If that's... How you base your acting a marathon if they disappear into the roles or whatever she certainly did then and i didn't think about uh i didn't remember her from the lobster although i do remember that character now the the manager but she is very like on one hand the character's kind of pathetic right but you could still tell that she knows like more than she's letting on or she's not like stupid or anything like and she is kind of playing them off each other and things like that right 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 there is there is a level of cutting or at least sociopathy like competent sociopathy like underneath the brat act which is kind of a major part of her borderline bdsm relationship with uh rachel weiss's character which is the push and pull of like where the power dynamic in their relationship is at, at all times which is a uh, brings me to one thing that i wanted to call out okay it is either brilliant or pretentious but the way that the camera angle adjusts based on like up or down or like well now we're getting into direction yeah yeah but cinematography, based on but... like where the power exchange is headed in that scene so if the respective character is at a power disadvantage right if rachel weiss is being talked down to like the camera will literally be set at a 30 degree angle looking up at olivia coleman shit like that was like really fascinating to me and it's probably like one of the most pretentious things that ever happened i just really enjoyed it well and that those ones you can point out more like you can see a clear line like where the power is but there was some kind of directorial things where i didn't really understand why i was in there i didn't mind it but like the main thing i'm thinking of is like there was several scenes where he does kind of like a fishbowl lens on the camera which i couldn't really see any particular reason i mean maybe the only thing i can think of is like they live this kind of society or these people we're seeing aren't living kind of a fishbowl but that might just be a stretch to try to justify it i don't know you know what i mean like i you did notice that right it didn't seem to be anything power struggle-wise that I can see why. It seemed pretty random. It didn't seem super related to the, the other very obvious trick. 
But anyway, yeah, I still like the direction overall. It did remind me of, have you seen Barry Lyndon, the uh, Kubrick film? No. This movie reminded, I mean, it, it also takes place in a kind of, there, there's some parallels just on a story level, like a kind of an upstart person coming in, faking their way to the top a little bit. It also uses the exact same element of, you know how this movie had like titles between like eight, seven or eight different acts or whatever it is. Yeah. Like one, this mud stinks, I think was the first name of the first one. And then it was different stories like that. Barry Lyndon does that also, although it takes place over a much longer period of time in that film. And the setting too is like 1700s, whatever. So there was, I do think Lanthimos was probably somewhat at least influenced by that film, but. I mean, like everyone was, was influenced by Kubrick. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess that one, that one and specifically from Kubrick, but. Yeah. By the way, if you a, a complete tangent here aside, but have you seen Eyes Wide Shut, the the final Kubrick film? Yeah, of course. I just only watched it for the first time. It's like two weeks ago or whatever. You like that movie? It's kind of a tough hang. I did like it. I didn't realize it was a it was a it's a backdoor Christmas movie for one thing, which I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. And I watched it right, right before Christmas, so I was like, oh, that fits. But I really couldn't tell if it was good or not, and I was leaning toward not good. But I know a lot of people love it or whatever. It's good when you hear the, like, pop culture hot take that, like, Kubrick was fascinated by Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman's, like, very public romance and didn't buy their whole thing and wanted to, like, literally use the making of a film where their marriage falls apart to break them up. Well, that's weird. <laughs> okay, I didn't hear about that. Probably, like, 90% horse shit, but it is really fascinating to think about because Kubrick was always, like, a little too far up his own ass with, like, the idea behind everything. I mean, those two actors are kind of are part of the reason why I didn't think the film worked. I mean, Cruz is just miscast to me in that film, and Kidman's performance I found borderline bizarre at times, like how she was acting. I don't know if that was purpose. If some of it was the script, I think isn't great either. But yeah, I didn't. Uh, I don't think I'm gonna be jumping on the train of Eyes Wide Shut as a, a hidden classic or whatever. But anyway, uh, I, that's that was a complete tangent. Like I said, anyway, uh, just because I saw it. Uh, another tangent here for you, kind of related. I tabulated every movie, or I've been keeping track of every film I see this year. I actually started doing it in 2017, but... I tried to do that. But I didn't start at the beginning of 2017, so I don't know how many I technically watched that year. But I do know how many I watched this year. I added them up today. Can you, uh, can you guess how many films I've seen in 2018? I guess there's still technically time to get maybe one more in. Not likely to happen, though. So I think my count is, is done here. Where do you think I am? How little of a life do you think I have? With how many You've movies seen... I've seen. I mean, how, how much of a film fan am I? 52 films this year. If you think I've only seen 52 films this year. Oh, holy shit. It, that would not even be remotely close to the number. I'm sorry, sir. Yeah, I'll give you one more. Just telling you that that's extremely low of a guess. Uh, 138. No, I've seen 222 movies this year. Jesus, dude. Yes. I think what the last one on the list is going to be a film from 1980 called New Year's Evil, a canon film. Terrible movie, but I actually watched it for a different podcast I'm into. Uh, you know, because you like other podcasts. I'm more into this one called Different Podcasts. Different Podcasts, okay. okay that, one, that one had me watching some random movies this year, which I did. Yeah, 222 films. That's not, that's not quite 365. Not one a day, but... Uh, that's fucking wild. I may have seen 35 films this year. I gotta do better. Yes, you do. You do have to. But anyway, enough 
bragging, I guess, on my part, <laughs> or or enough showing the opposite of bragging, I guess. What's humble brag is one thing, right? What's what's like a thing for a brag that you shouldn't be <laughs> that shouldn't be uh, impressive or a, a backdoor insult. <laughs> yeah, enough backdoor insulting myself. Well, back to the favorite though. Well, we kind of got uh, stalled out on the acting talk with Coleman, right? The the queen. I wanted to talk about the other performances too, but with Oscar wise. She's pretty much a lock to get a nomination, right, for Best Actress. I believe so. Um, and, and I haven't seen a better performance necessarily from an actress this year in a lead role. I, it is kind of the thing where I think all three are co- would be co-leads, but I think Wise and Stone, if they get nominations, which they probably will too, Stone at least probably. theoretically see them both getting... Uh, they'll be up for supporting because you can kind of put in for what you want or the studio yeah. does or whatever so that'll be what it is i loved all three performances i i want to give a shout out to the one guy too i thought he kind of stole most of the scenes he was in um the the, the, that weird the user the user of the term the great term construct <laughs> yeah. uh, nicholas holt is the actor's name i believe he's a really good actor too he's one of the guys that that uh he always puts in like a very different performance in every movie i've seen him in He's in Fury Road, rather, as the one guy, you know, um, you wouldn't even think that was the same guy as this this actor, I feel like, or this character, rather. But anyway, he was very entertaining and good at doing the the dialogue. But back to the the three leads there. So we talked about the queen. Rachel Vise is her, obviously, like her childhood friend, right? I assume this is probably based off a real person as well. Marlboro, Lady Marlboro. Um, all the events, like the major like life events, really took like did take place, like the exile, etc. The, the the letters, like that all happened. And so her character is kind of the only one who's willing to go against her, or at least like talk shit to her, or whatever you want to call it, put her in her place. But she's the only one who's allowed to. <laughs> and I think that was well well put into, uh, well hammered home by the end of the movie with the final scene as well. But. But so Wise, like, very entertaining performance as well, I thought. You know, she is devious, but I did probably... And, and she's clearly just doing things for what she, what her own personal interest is. Doesn't really care about the people or whatever. But at the end of the film, of the three characters, I even though she got exiled or whatever, I guess, I did kind of think she probably fared the best of the three. Do you agree, disagree with that? Or? Sir, fared the worst, you mean? I thought fair the best. Like I, I thought, like from a personal standpoint, to me, she lost. Well, that. in the real world, she did the best. Like she and her husband did take power again after the exile, um, after Queen Anne's reign was over. And I also just mean from a perspective of a personal perspective of well, on one hand, it was like I was siding with her more by the end of the movie than the start. I was siding with her more because like. I found out that a core tenet of my personal sexuality happens to be Rachel Wise wearing that, like, really lazy, like, full head scarf eye patch. Yeah, and ding ding, I agree with you there. And let's let's just get into that for a minute if we can. The, I will say about Rachel Wise, first of all, she still looks amazing for, I don't know, she's pu- at least pushing 50, right? If not already there. I think probably one of my formative experiences is seeing her in The Mummy, uh from I think 1999 and being basically when I saw that when I was like 11 I was pretty much fully in love with her based on that movie yeah man what's a place like me doing in a girl like this and she's still doing it to me years like 20 years later basically that's I mean that's some power right there I guess that's why there are certain people that are just so magnetic or whatever that they have to be movie stars but but yeah just a a personal shout out to her 
keeping it sexy for uh, most of my life right now. <laughs> and it was, I did like that little mask thing, what, what you're talking about. Although she had some line, right, like a scar, or if I was a man, the scar would be look good or whatever, or something like that, right? Yeah. There were, there, there were like a few clunky bits where like the characters basically like turn to the screen and deliver like sophomore level women's theory speeches which i I don't so much mind it just kind of took it kind of takes you out of the moment oh i we shouldn't presuppose that all people watching this film like understand where you're coming from with a from a women's lib perspective but uh it was a bit like jarring to have that pop out of the the regular other period specific dialogue so a couple of dialogue things i agree with you were clunky that way but overall the film i thought was pretty good in that regard in terms of like Rachel Weisz's character is basically like a kind of like an anti-hero, I would say, which is normally played by male characters. There's not a lot of female ones. And that I think like what makes an anti-hero to me is like someone you are kind of rooting for in the end, which like I just said, I kind of was, or at least I thought her character came out looking the best or with the best prospects of all three of them. Because the queen is obviously she just has to live with herself. And, she, you know, there's a whole scene of her, uh, I think, even before the whole thing goes down with the favorites, right, and the and banishing her friend, she's like has gout or whatever. There's a scene where she's crying, eating cake, or and then starts vomiting, and then yeah. starts. Eat. By the way, there was I did make note of this. I've heard a term for people that don't like seeing throwing up and makes them sick. If you I forget what the term is, but if you have that condition or whatever you call it, do not watch this film because I made note that all three lead characters have puking scenes in, the, in this movie. Yeah, it's 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 bomb heavy for sure. All for different reasons, I guess, too, which is interesting. I don't know if that's ever been in a, in a film before, but regardless, yeah, that scene with the cake, and then that's that's just how she is before everything goes down. Then at the end of the movie, she realizes basically that she let her friend, her really, even though she was trying to use her too, it was still like her only really true friend, right? Kind of, and then she banished her, and she stuck with basically a prostitute at this point which emma stone's character even though she becomes a lady again i think the last scene of the movie maybe you could tell me if you had a different reading on it but i thought it was there to show that like she is basically just a whore still now for the queen instead she is no she didn't really win right yeah well i love the i love the trick the movie pulls where like for a long time you were genuinely rooting for emma stone's character and then once she gets what she's been after like you start to understand that she is actually also the villain and Rachel Wise, while she is she is a villain might actually be the wronged party here and then that final scene with the with the bunnies accumulating in the background and uh Emma Stone having to like kneel and kiss the ring or whatever and rubbing her legs literally like it it was kind of similar to the hand even though her from the character's perspective was completely different when she's giving the hand job to her new husband that's just like She's not even paying attention, right? She's talking, formulating her plot still. It's an afterthought. Now with this rubbing the legs thing, which is kind of emblematic of like jerking off, whatever, it jerking someone off, it is like uh, she has to do that now and that is the end for her. Like she lost in a way, so. Right, because that's the theme of the whole thing. Like no matter how much social and political power you accumulate, you will always have a master and it's the people who were the, the the gatekeepers the people who can let you have that power still do have that power over you and you're never truly going to going to be free you're never truly going to be able to win this game which it would really i would have liked it a bit better if the olivia coleman uh, if the queen anne character weren't so obviously 
being retrofit with a uh, a sort of like Trumpian persona. She's a big fat baby, you know, always always being whiny and aggressive and needy and never having the same opinion two days in a row. Well, that's interesting you bring that up. I didn't really get that at all, to be honest. I think the reason being she's needy and all those things, like you said, but she's kowtows more to, like, what the will of whatever. Like, she's much more... Um, well, that's the thing that one reads about Trump is that his, his opinion is whatever the last opinion he heard was on the subject. I guess that's true. I, I guess you're right. I just feel the way they go about it, that character and Trump go about it is so different, like, how he would... Yeah, I've, I saw this in the movie. I agree with you. You're right about, like, changing your opinion based on... I think that is what he does, but it's more... For the Queen's character, it seemed more... Like, she seems so just so more indecisive when I would think Trump would just be... He might not know what he... doesn't clearly know what he's doing a lot of the time, but he just says he does and, like, brushes past it. You know what I mean? Where her character was... Like, there's a scene where she goes into the dance or wherever it was, I can't remember exactly, but then the whole Nicholas Hall character comes up to her and starts talking to her about whatever. She's like, oh, wait, the people don't like this? Oh, wait, what? Like, you know what I mean? Like, sure. Yeah, I guess... <sighs> like, Trump would be like, oh, that, no, I did a great job with this, buddy. You know, Nicholas Hall, whatever, your care, Lord, whatever, be on Twitter, like, saying, this guy doesn't know what he's talking You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I just feel like same kind of persona where, like, you are not capable of doing your job you are, you know, battered around by the winds of, like, the whims of your, whatever your current cohort is. But then at the end of the day, you do understand that, like, you do have the political and social capital in any room. And everyone there is there because they have sufficiently kissed your ass and they need you still. And they will do whatever you tell them to at, eventually. Yeah. I mean, what this kind of says to me, I guess it's showing to me i guess that um that's kind of how political structures always go down even and trump's not really that unique of what we're seeing right now you know like i mean because i'm not like i'm I'm not watching this movie being like oh i they they set this all up to be to be a parallel to trump it's just i think it's a lot of it's just a coincidence no not all of it it's just something that i noticed was there uh and like not many people have agreed with me and that for what it's worth obviously also i just can't really see Yorgos Lanthimos, like, really, that's something he's interested in, you know, or I guess, I don't know anything, I guess, but personally, but... It may have been a Berlusconi critique. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so we didn't, I guess the character we talked the least about so far is Emma Stone, even though we we talked about her ending, and we talked, you you were saying, like, how she, you start off by rooting for her, and you do, I mean, what do you think about her character? Does she, was she always like that? conniving and from the beginning this was her plot or did she kind of get influenced by Rachel Wise and the court and like everything that happened you know I think wisely the the movie like leaves it open for interpretation there but like I do come away with the reading that like yeah she had this like in mind all along uh and once she got a taste it, it may have created a monster out of her but like she knew what she wanted when she got there that's what I think as well and the one scene I can think of that where I kind of it made me think more of that as well is it wasn't the hand job scene, but it was another one with her and her husband where she's just completely ignoring him and, and just like kind of ranting to herself. And she's saying something about her father who gets brought up a lot because he like sold her and he lost her in a card game or whatever. And like when she's talking, she's like, oh, but he was he wanted me back, you know, whatever. But then when she's like by herself or not technically by herself, but essentially like ranting to herself, she's like, 
uh, ranting about him too and everything. That kind of made me think like she she was like this way the whole time, you know. Yeah, I think so too. And and yeah, the guy who plays her husband did, did a good performance as well. He was the one in that dancing scene, right? That was him with Lady Marlborough, I believe it was. It was either him or um, the other guy that you were talking about earlier, whose name I've forgotten. Nicholas Holt. I, I'm pretty sure it was the other guy. Yeah, I'll call him Lord Construct. That is Taylor Swift's boyfriend. Oh, really? The actor? Interesting. I guess. <laughs> yeah, something that we haven't really called out in our uh, in our rush to like talk about like the this movie and like the ideas that it's working is that it's like super fucking funny. Like, it is, it is a real delight to watch. I agree, and that's the reason why I, it might be my favorite film I've seen this year. It was, it's definitely a while up there, and it, mostly because it was entertaining in that, on that level to me. Not just the dialogue and the, the wit and whatnot, but the situations. A lot of stuff at the beginning with Emma Stone's characters, a lot of laugh moments there. I mean, there's a whole scene with their husband guy, too, where they're, like, chasing around each other around yeah, in the woods. Yeah. Like, she keeps hitting him in the dick and whatnot. Uh, there was one line where he comes in and she's like, uh, are you here to uh, seduce me or to rape me? And, and he's like, I'm here to be a gentleman. And she's like, oh, so rape then, right? That was, that was a pretty good left line. Uh, and then soon after that, there was something like about women or men rather need to be pretty. That's what the one guy says to the other. So a lot of the gender dynamic things were funny in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. And there was one, I mean, this was probably one of the more bizarre scenes that didn't necessarily have to do with the plot, of course, but the one scene where they all the guys are throwing, what, fruit at the one naked guy dancing around. Yeah, I didn't... Other than to, like, demonstrate the, you know, excess and vapidity of that society, like, I don't really know why it was there, but it's, like, it does create, you know, an ambiance. Yeah, it certainly does. And then... Oh, and I, I think maybe one of the funniest, uh, again, just throwing out funny parts I liked toward the beginning too when wise tells the guy to go have her whipped emma stone whipped and he brings her into the kitchen pushes her on the counter and then the woman in there is like i guess the one in charge of the kitchen's like no if that's what this is go do that in the barn not in my kitchen <laughs> yeah that was wild. funny but yeah so it's a very funny movie darkly comical i guess which is one of my favorite types of humor great performances all around from the leads down to the more supporting roles interesting dynamic if not if not like completely unheard of it was still an interesting dynamic between the three leads here and interesting cinematography and direction certainly even if it didn't work 100 percent of the time and i like the period anyway i like movies from this period if they're interesting too i would recommend watching barry london at some point but anyway yeah for me this this was hitting a lot of the boxes for me what, what i like to to see from the film yeah, I really liked it. A lot of substance, a lot of a lot to, you know, consider at least that is not, you know, overtly stated by one of the characters to the camera. Uh it was a really like well considered and well made movie, uh, and I'm glad that I saw it. All right. Well, we should be back soon for maybe another film discussion of a a movie that might be uh getting on the Oscar radar here. And hopefully we'll be back soon to talk. We gotta see what happens with those uh, games we talked about the wild card weekend. Going into the uh, divisional round there next time, but uh, I think we left it all on the table today for uh, the end of 2018, did we not, Young Hey Joe? Feel like we left it all on the field. On the field, on the table, on the on the shooting range, I guess. Well, we didn't talk about that. Dance floor. Uh, yeah. So I don't think there is anything more we need to discuss in 2018. But just to close it out, please everyone do subscribe to Brooklyn Rebound Network. 
this very podcast feed. If you like this and you're not already for whatever reason, if you're still listening, uh, do get subscribed. Tell your friend to get subscribed, certainly. And uh, do you have any other personal plugs to throw out there, Young Hey Joe? Uh, no personal plugs. Just uh, Happy New Year, everybody. And uh, everyone go get, get yourselves a, a nice Hey Joe tonight. All right. And you, will you be, are you offering that, like, if, if they come find you tonight, will you be? Yeah, see me in Brooklyn. We'll talk. Okay. Well, well, lucky for you, I think this will come out after that. So, But, you know, if, if you happen to find him, it sounds like there could be some potential there. And I think, you know, I don't know from personal experience, but I feel like my partner here, young, uh, young Spooky E-Nami, I think he's going to put a little more attention into it than uh, Emma Stone's character in The Favorite. So you have that to look, at, look forward to there. At least I won't roll my eyes. That's right to camera and uh that'll do it for the podcast and for the year we're out of here peace pod boys productions